Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now, let's get started. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm, I'm just here and I have the privilege of standing before you and bringing the word of God to you and just proclaiming his majesty to you this morning. Um, I, had, I had some issues uh, when I was assigned to preach this morning a, a while ago by Marty. Uh, when it comes to preaching on Sunday mornings, I'm not very much of a... Uh, I don't, I don't typically like to just preach one-off sermons. I'm, I'm like, I want to do through a series. Like, let's talk about something for weeks after week after week after week. That doesn't really work when you're preaching one sermon, right? Uh, so I, I had some issues. But then it hit me. I figured out what I was going to talk about this morning. Uh, and even uh, Marty called me earlier this week. And he said, Brother Caleb, what are you going to preach on this week? And I said, well, it's a secret. <laughs> and he said... He said, what are you trying to keep secrets for? I said, well, I just don't like to you know, give it all away. I like, to be, I like to build a little suspense to it. Um, but I told him, I said, I've never done something like this before. So it'll either be the worst thing you've ever heard or the best thing you've ever heard. Um, so hopefully it's the last thing and not the first thing. Um, but either way, we'll read some scriptures this morning. So above all else, which the scriptures are a million times better than anything I have to say to you, Okay. So as long as we're reading those, I, I don't think we can go too wrong. Um, I've been given this one morning to preach. Uh, it's pretty hard to preach through an entire book of the Bible in one sermon. I think it's pretty hard to even preach through a major section of the Bible in one sermon. Uh, I preached at Strong City, Oklahoma for years. And I went through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters. It took me about... 30 weeks to get through a little bit, right? 12 chapters, 30 weeks. Um, and I was thinking about what I was going to do this morning. And I thought, you know, maybe, okay, let's just do an overview of a book. Let's do like an overview of a book, you know, not many people read, like Judges or, or Leviticus or Numbers and really explain it. Um, and I thought to myself, well, even if I explained one of those and just did an overview of one of those, that still would leave so much left to be desired because there's just so much... I mean, just knowing what one book says in isolation away from the other ones, it really just doesn't do it justice, right? So that's when it hit me with my brilliant mind that I have. Let's just preach a whole sermon about the Bible. Let's preach a sermon about the Bible. Let's give an overview of the Bible. Because we really never take a step back and look at these things, do we? we we're, we're really, sometimes we get really, really into uh, looking at isolated verses and we forget what we're looking at. It's like you're looking at the picture of a foot of an elephant and you forget you're even looking at an elephant anymore. You've just done something for so long, you've forgotten what you're even doing in the first place, right? So over the next five, six hours, we're going to th go through the Bible and understanding the Bible. Y'all are laughing. I'm serious. I'm always serious. But in reality, even if we spent that long, we wouldn't even scratch the surface of what the Bible is. But I just want to give you all basic 
things and just really give you know take a step back for one Sunday morning, this one special Sunday morning, and ask this question: What is the message of the Bible? What what is it? What is, what is it all about? What is the overarching theme of the Bible? So many times we forget in church that the Bible is one cohesive story. It is one large cohesive story. There's many authors. There's many books. There's many genres. But it's all one story. And I think some, some, there may be news to some people, I think, but for most of us, we just forget that, right? We read stories about Jesus. We have no idea why it's significant in the things that he does because he does specific things throughout the New Testament. We have no idea why he's even doing them because we haven't read the Old Testament. And we don't know the entire picture of the Bible. Uh, people know that the Bible is important, right? But we, for the most part, sometimes misuse it, and sometimes we really just don't understand it. We mistake the use of it. Uh, this kind of reminded me of an example in history. In Ethiopia, there was a king. His name is King Menelik II. He was the emperor over Ethiopia. And he knew the Bible was a holy book. He knew there was something special about the Bible. So, naturally, with, with his great mind, he thought, well, when I get sick, I should eat pages of the Bible. That'd be a good idea. I should eat pages of the Bible when I get sick, and it will heal myself, okay? Um, he did, he'd been doing this throughout his life. And towards the end of his life, he suffered a stroke that left him paralyzed. So he had his assistant feed him the pages of 1st through 2nd Kings. Uh, and needless to say, he never recovered from it, right? He understood that the Bible's important, but he really misused it, right? Uh, the Bible is an all-time bestseller, but more, more times than not, it's purchased rather than read, right? What is our goal this morning? What do we want to accomplish this morning? This morning, I want to show you the overarching message of the Bible that is woven through every single page. And secondly, hopefully inspire you and motivate you a little bit to search it out, to study it, to make it a priority in your life and really your sustenance, your daily bread, something you need every single day. Um, an old theologian, Martin Luther, he said that the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. So typically, when we read the Bible, what, what half of the Bible do we typically read all the time? Which one? The New Testament, right? New Testament. It's got the story of Jesus. We really, really focus on it. But what we fail to realize is the New Testament makes no sense apart from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. Jesus himself tells the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the New Testament, that he was not here to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. But we as Christians live as though they've been abolished and they mean nothing to us today, right? The truth is that the things that happened in Jesus' ministry in the New Testament, all the things he accomplished, are significantly less impactful, less valuable, less reasonable without the foundation that's laid out in the Old Testament for us, right? 
Um, and as you'll notice, so many times in the New Testament, it's going to say, like, as it was written. As it was written. And these are always direct quotes from the Old Testament. Over 283 direct quotes from the, New, from the Old Testament. Not to mention all the indirect quotes, all the allusions, all the comparisons, all the references. Is there any other literary devices I'm not thinking of, Mom? She's an English teacher. So I want us to turn to our Bible to page one. Go to page one. I, I, actually, let's go before page one. Go to your table of contents in your Bible. I bet you you've never flipped there in a sermon ever. Go to your table of contents. It should probably be like the first or second page in your Bible. I just want you to look at a few things that is in there. Because it's really good for us to see the entire picture together. Because the Bible's not made of 66 random books that have nothing to do with each other. But it's a saga. It's a complete story. We find the majority of the story not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. We have 39 books, the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And understanding why I'm sitting here focusing on the Old Testament so much. The Old Testament is going to go a long way in helping us understand the New Testament. Understanding God, understanding sin, and really understanding ourselves, okay? So if we're at the table of contents, it's the first page of my Bible, okay? Um, it's important for us to start here and see this because the Old Testament, in our Bible really as a whole, is about our history. It's about our history, okay? And to be sure, this isn't just a history book that you read in high school, right? where the writers are just recounting every single thing that ever happened to them. But there was a purpose that God had when he used the writers of the Old Testament. It was to show our history of rebellion. Okay? So when we're talking about the Bible, first and foremost, it is a history. But it's a history of our rebellion. Okay? Uh, a lot of people look at the Bible and we see a bunch of wise religious sayings and advice. It's almost like we look at it, the whole Bible as like the book of Proverbs. Yet the truth is the Bible is, it plays out like an epic, like a story, right? It's a continuous story, and it can be read chronologically, okay? So we start in the Old Testament in Genesis. And we have this amazing story. We have nothing, and then we have everything. Absolute nothingness, and then all of a sudden, Light. The earth formed together by the hands of God. The oceans being filled. The creatures being brought up. And man being brought from the dust to who he is now. Man and woman, man and woman, they're in the Garden of Eden in perfect harmony with the God who created them. But what happens? They disobey, right? They disobey. Uh, they fall away. They're separated from the God who created them because of our rebellion. That's the first three chapters of the Bible, right there. First three chapters. Some, some say that chapter 3 of Genesis is the most important chapter in the Bible because it's the beginning of our problem. We have a universal problem as human beings, right? We have a universal problem. And it's that we've rebelled and we are separated from God. Yeah? And of course, going on from this, we continue to rebel. We see Cain kill his brother Abel soon after. The Tower of Babel is created. Noah builds his ark to be saved from the wrath that God had on this deteriorating humanity. 
I want us to note how vast this history is I'm talking about right now. The majority of human history as we know it happens from Genesis 1 through Genesis 9. Okay? There's more time elapsed between Genesis 1 to 9 than Genesis 10 to probably present day, right? There's a lot more to the story. We have God coming down, making promises to Abraham that his children be a great nation. Then in the book of Exodus, we have this great nation that's enslaved to Egypt, and it's eventually rescued in this great exodus by God. This, this nation called Israel travels to the promised land, the book of Judges, the book of Joshua, this place that God had promised that they would have, and they take over the land. They build their cities there. They build a temple to God. Kings come and go. Some are good. Some are bad. King Saul, King David, King Solomon, they all turn to idolatry until the kingdoms are taken over and destroyed by Babylon. And the nation of Israel lives in this, they live in exile in a land that's not their own. And they eventually return and they're left broken and in need. And that's it. That's the whole story of the Old Testament, right? That's like the basic synopsis if you want to read the back of the book, right? If we're in the table of contents, we can look at the Old Testament as a whole and really divide the whole thing into three categories, three basic categories for you this morning, okay? We have the law, we have the writings, and we have the prophets, okay? The law, the writings, and the prophets. And maybe your Bible has it split up in there already, but it should be the law, the prophet, and the writings. It's the most basic way we divide the Old Testament. And if you're looking at your table of contents, a really easy way to divide it, put an imaginary line before Job and put another imaginary line after the, King of Sol- uh, after the Song of Solomon. Okay, Before Job and after Song of Solomon. This is the basic division right here. This is the basic division. Before Job, after Song of Solomon. So in this big first section, Genesis through Esther, uh, we call it the law. Um, the middle one, Job through Song of Solomon, we call it the writings. And the final section, starting with Isaiah, is known as the prophets. So 17 books in the first, five books in the middle, and 17 books in the last one. This first section, the law, the heart of the law is found in the first five books. Then the last 12 really narrate history, the history that we just talked about. All these books form together a narrative of a single story of God interacting with the people he created, right? In this creation, um, from creation to exile and return the people to the promised land. So that's the law. In the middle, that middle section there, uh, Job through Song of Solomon, we have the middle five books. These are the, basically the personal experiences of people living during that history. It's their wisdom, their poems, their devotionals, and really the feelings of these people during this time. And in the final section, we have the prophets. So if the first group is the history, if the second group is the personal experience of people during that history, then the third section really is God. So if we know what prophets are, it, God talks to us through prophets. It's God's commentary on that history. His reactions, His blessings, His curses to us during that history. So when we break it down like that, it's easier to see, you know, it's all one giant story that all fits together. It's a story of us being created, rebelling against God, time and time again. And it's easy to see every time you read the Bible, but it can really be summed up like this. 
God's grace and mercy is always met with rebellion by us. It's a hard truth, but it's the truth. It's really easy to see throughout the Old Testament. God's grace and mercy is met by our rebellion. But for us to understand more, we need to know that this isn't just a history of our rebellion. It's also this. It also shows us God's passion for holiness. God's passion for holiness. And what do I mean by that? Uh, We see more and more through each one of these stories that are in the Bible, God's character revealed to us, who he is, what he prioritizes, right? Uh, We look at the Bible sometimes, and we look at the Old Testament, we think God's really angry for some reason, right? We think sometimes, heretically, people have said, well, there's a different God in the Old Testament and a different God in the New Testament, right? We look at him and we think he's really angry. And the reality is, God does get angry. He gets angry quite a bit. But it's because he's not indifferent to sin. He is not indifferent to sin. He cares a lot about sin. What sin is, sin is this perversion of what God has made. It's the destruction of his creation. It's the destruction of the people he's loved, he's valued, he's created from scratch. So obviously, he gets angry. His, his creation is being destroyed in front of his eyes. And because of God's passion for holiness, we are separated from God by our sin. We're separated from God by our sin. Uh, you'll read in the Old Testament kind of the layout of the temple, right? And how, how, how Israel would come to worship God in the Old Testament. And if you know what it looks like, it's a big square, the temple's laid out like a big square. And in the middle of that big square is a little square. It's known as the holiest of holies. It's where God resides with us. But you can see there's a literal barrier between the people who are gathering for God and God himself. A literal physical barrier between us. And because of sin that separates us from God so greatly, we need reconciliation We need to be reconciled. We need to be brought back. We need to make amends, right? We need to be brought back into relationship with God. And because God, who still loves his creation, because he's made promises to us, provided a way for us to approach him, even back then, provided a way for us to approach him. We call it an atonement, okay? An atonement. It's to make amends. It's to... uh, carry out the sentence of condemnation, right? And we see the various ways we do this, and we'll start. It's been a long time. Let's go to Leviticus, chapter 1, verse 3. Leviticus 1, 3. Go there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You're already in the table of contents. I shouldn't tell you where it's at. Leviticus 1, 3. We see the various ways that God allows us to approach Him um, throughout the Old Testament. Um, Here's the first example of it. It says, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting so that he may be accepted before the Lord. 
And you'll, as you read Leviticus, time and time again, you'll see all these offerings, all these uh, atonements. It's a male without blemish. God has taken this initiative to give his people a way to at least restore their relationship with him. Um, there's always been sacrifices from the beginning. Even the dispute between Cain and Abel. What was that dispute over? It was over a sacrifice. One sacrifice was pleasing to God, one wasn't. Right? The book of Exodus, the blood of the Passover lamb was a sacrifice for the people offered and it was put on the doors of the people of Israel. These sacrifices, this is what differentiates us from, from other religions, at least the Jewish people from other religions. These sacrifices weren't just from a people that were grateful, that were wanting to have you know, a plentiful bounty or, or, or harvest that year. They were brought by people that were guilty, that had sinned and needed reconciliation. Okay, They would offer their sacrifice, they'd confess their sin. So all along the way, throughout the Old Testament, God is implanting this image. The innocent, the male, without blemish. Their life being offered in exchange for the guilty, the blemished, the unclean, right? The not pure. We see this time and time, again, through all of these sacrifices, the unblemished for the blemished, the clean for the not clean, right? Um, and if you're in Leviticus, go to Leviticus 17. Just flip a few pages over. Leviticus 17, in verse 11. Leviticus 17, verse 11. And God tells them, in Leviticus 17, verse 11, He says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Leviticus 17.11 God's showing His people there is a cost to sin. That sin is serious. That His passion for holiness was, was founded in something. Um, sin hurts. Sin destroys. Sin causes death. Sin is costly. These actual, the actual sacrifices were never the point. In fact, really, go to, go to Psalm 51. And while you're flipping there, go to Psalm 51. These sacrifices were never really the point. They were just illustrating something. Uh, they were, which is kind of contradictory and, and paradoxical, they were more effective when people realized that these sacrifices had no effect outside of the, God, the grace of God. I'm going to show you this. Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17. This is David repenting, asking for forgiveness. Psalm 51, 16-17. It says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God, through these sacrifices in the Old Testament, was showing the people that they are in a constant state of sin. The sacrifices were temporary. They didn't cover everything. They had to be repeated 
each and every year. And thus the people are always stuck in this state of sin, right? And once again, it just goes back to that picture of the temple, being physically separated from the God who created us. And it really goes to this passage, and this is a very, very important passage for us um, in understanding who God is and really what Jesus did. Go to Exodus. Go to Exodus 34. We're going to flip around today. Exodus 34. Exodus 34, 6-7. We see something that reveals a lot about who God is, but kind of provides a problem or creates a question for us. And for the, especially for the people of the Old Testament, they really didn't have a solution for this. Let's look at it. Exodus 34, 6 to 7. It said, the Lord, it was talking about Moses, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to third and fourth generation. Do you see the problem there? We have a God who has compassion, who forgives the guilty, but also says he will by no means clear the guilty. That's right. I want to make sure we're reading this right, right? It says he's slow to anger. He's merciful. He has steadfast love and faithfulness. He has steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. But it says he by no means will clear the guilty. How can this be? How can the God who does not clear the guilty still forgive the transgression of sin? This brings us to our last thing that we need to understand about the Old Testament, really the Bible itself. The Old Testament shows not only our history of rebellion, it not only shows uh, God's passion for holiness, but it shows a promise of hope. A promise of hope. The Old Testament shows a promise of hope. It shows us the compassion of God on us. Uh, I'm going to read you some phrases that you may be familiar with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love the stranger. When your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. We've all heard of those, right? We, we could probably find them in the New Testament, but they found their foundation in the Old Testament. We see time and time again, more often than not, in, this, in these stories, in this history, we don't see the wrath of God for the most part. But more times than not, we see his continued mercy to a people that constantly rejected him. He makes promises and lays out a plan time and time again throughout this story that he will love his people and he will redeem his people that have been separated from him. Everything we've looked at so far, there's not really been a lot of hope in it, right? They couldn't find hope in their history because... They rebel every time. That's their history. Their history is of rebellion. It's a reminder of their constant failure. They couldn't hope in the sacrificial system because all it did was just show them that they were in constant sin and they were never able to make up for it once for all, right? 
It's why, and we can flip to the New Testament and look at Hebrews chapter 10. So all the way in the New Testament, in the backside of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, 10, 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things that come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, how can we have hope? How can God forgive wickedness and not leave the guilty unpunished? The answer was not in themselves. The answer was not in their history. But the answer was found in God Himself and His promises. We've talked a lot about His promises. Marty's done a good job of talking about God's promises week after week. But I want to talk about a specific promise this morning. It isn't just necessarily a promise, but it's a promised person. A promised person. We know that the atonement is when the innocent is offered in the place of the guilty, right? The unblemished in the place of the blemished. And time and time again in the Old Testament, we see this picture of a promised person. Just glimpses of him. And it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. And we'll, we'll have it on the screen because um, we're going to hit a few of them. Deuteronomy 18.15. We get this picture of a prophet who will be like Moses. It says in Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. It's all the way back in Deuteronomy. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we get this vision of this son of man. Right? He says in Daniel 7, 13-14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. Picture of a Son of Man coming and given dominion by the ancient of days. In Isaiah 53, we get this picture of a suffering servant who would have the iniquity of us all laid on him. It's, it's Isaiah 53, 1-6. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is 400 years before the New Testament. But we're seeing overwhelmingly this picture of a promised person, somebody who is coming. And this promised person is the answer to the riddle in Exodus 34. This riddle of, well, how can God forgive the innocent, forgive the guilty, but also not clear the guilty? This promise was the only thing they could hope in. In fact, it's, the, it's, it's, it's really just the only hope. What we place our hope in is very important, right? We all place our hope in something. It's sometimes misguided. I'll agree. Uh, this is where the New Testament comes in to this picture in this story, right? We've had a history of rebellion. We've had God's passion for holiness. We've had His promises so far. Here's where the New Testament comes into the picture. This nation of Israel that has gone through all these things, right? Once again, they're under a foreign ruler. This time, a new nation known as the Romans, right? And they were in despair. They had no hope. For centuries, they've been waiting for a promised person to come and save them. They thought somebody would come and, and take them away from the Romans. Take them away from the, the Babylonians, from these people that were uh, being over them. They were broken down without hope. But this is what the New Testament is all about. The New Testament is all about how the promises made by God in the Old were fulfilled. That they came to fruition. And it helps us for ourselves when we lose hope, okay? Because we see in the New Testament that God fulfills His promises, and it's maybe not in our time, and it's not in our way, but in what we need, God delivers every single time. And we definitely never recognize it when it happens. God delivers every time what we need. So we have this remnant of a nation. These broken, these tattered people. We see the promises of God realized in this promised person. Um, it's called the Messiah. In Greek, the Christ. Uh, the Anointed One. He is the foc focal point of every single New Testament book. You will struggle to find any page in the New Testament that does not talk about this promised person, at least in some way. And His name was Jesus, Son of Mary, from the line of David, Son of God, Jesus Christ. You see, throughout this history of rebellion, God had a plan to restore his people. And this plan revolved around the only thing that could restore this broken, rebellious people back to himself. And it was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus arrives on the scene. He starts fulfilling these prophecies of old, right? The blind are healed. The lame walk again. The dead are raised back to life. We see the prophet that is like Moses, but greater. We see a king that's like David, but greater, right? 
We see the Son of Man as explained in Daniel, who's been given dominion and a kingdom, but we also see a suffering servant, just like in Isaiah. Jesus of Nazareth, the, the Word of God made flesh, just as it says in John 1. In Acts, after Jesus has ascended, we see more promises fulfilled. The church is being established. In the rest of the New Testament, we see the epistles, these letters to the churches instructing them about Jesus Christ. And finally, in the last book, Revelation, it speaks to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back one day for His people. If we want one thing that the Bible is about on every single page, in some form or fashion, the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. The Bible is about the answer to all our problems. The focus of every promise. The resolution to our deepest problems that we have as humanity. And that's Jesus Christ. Not just for the people of the Old Testament. Not just for the people of Israel who are offering sacrifices. But for us here this morning as well. Because Christ did something that the sacrificial system could never do. Okay? He made a sacrifice once for all. A male without blemish. The innocent in exchange for the guilty offered on a cross where the full wrath of God, who all this wrath that He had on the ungodly was poured out on the Son of Man. And the guilty were made innocent by the blood of the Lamb. That's why we read, we read it in Hebrews earlier, Hebrews 10. That, that, verse, that passage continues. In verses, starts in verse 12. And it really just speaks to this truth. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. That's a quote from Jeremiah 31, by the way. Then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Here it is, right here. The answer. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Remember that separation we had? Remember that physical barrier had? To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. If we want to sum up the Bible in one sentence... It's, it's on, I, I put it in the slides. The Bible summed up in one sentence is this. The Bible is the story of creation, fall, and final restoration of a humanity 
that God accomplishes through the death, resurrection, and return of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible's about hope. We're not like other movements, organizations. They hope in abstract ideas. They hope in um, feelings. They hope in, uh, I believe in compassion. I believe in love for, for everybody. That's great and all. But love isn't alive. It's an idea. It's a feeling. We have a hope that is living. His name is Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day that we might die to sin and live for Him. We take part in this atonement, this great atonement, this plan that's been there since the beginning by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done and who He is. Trusting that God's promises are true and turning away from our sin and walking towards the One who has delivered these promises to us. There's so much more. to You really can't just tell you everything in the Bible in 30 minutes, right? But I'm going to challenge y'all. Firstly, this, and most importantly, this. If you do not know Christ today, there is no better time to come than now. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. It's never been guaranteed. We're a vapor. We're here for a short time and we're gone. It's a hard hard truth of life, but it is the truth of life. And people don't realize it until it's too late. Don't wait on this. If you don't know Christ, but want to know Christ, make today the day. But here's our other challenge. Because I would assume a lot of you in this room know Christ, but you may not know His Word. Here's my challenge to you. I hope you all have one of these. This book right here. Read it. Study it. Open the pages of it. and Not like King Menelik of Ethiopia, but consume it every single day. See these promises that I've been talking about this morning. See what... God's passion for holiness looks like what is holiness. Make it your life's endeavor to know this book. Because it's from this book that God speaks to us today. People wonder, and they ask, why can't I hear God? Because you won't open your Bible. I want to hear God's voice. I want Him to tell me what to do. I want to know what His will is in this situation. Open your Bible. God is speaking. You're just not listening. You're willfully ignoring God. Open this Bible. We cannot claim to be affected by this great story of God redeeming His lost people if we don't even know the story. We'll finish with this this morning. Um, And Brother Wayne can come up here and we'll have a time of invitation. I want to read us a passage it's from Psalm 119, verses 89 through 93. Psalm 119, 89 through 83, this long, the longest chapter in the Bible, all about the Word of God and how it deeply has affected David. Psalm 119, 89 through 93. 
Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it stands fast. By Your appointment they stand this day. For all things are Your servants. If Your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget Your precepts, for by them You have given me life. You have given me life. We'll have a time uh, of imitation. Um, if you are feeling the call of God on you this morning to come and know Jesus Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. If we need to pray, uh, come to the altar. Uh, let's stand together and let's sing this last hymn. Hey friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U at att.net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctuttle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you and we hope you have a blessed week.